Hey everyone, welcome back to Southern Fried Storytime. This is your Lemonade Mermaid here, and I'm going to try and continue the story of Hercules. Just bear in mind again that the Trojan War will be covered on its own at a separate date, even though um, kind of Hercules is the one who kickstarts it, and uh, you know, it's a big part, and the Jason and the Argonauts we're going to cover later, too, just because those two are such huge parts of just not even Herc's life, but of mythology as a whole, that I felt that they deserved their own episode. Again, as with my last episode, there's a warning here that some parts of this will include violence and suffering because Hercules' life was full of both of those things, though if you paid attention to him as a character, he definitely didn't try to avoid either of them. So without further ado, we're going on to his second labor, Slaying of the Hydra. The Hydra was poisonous, and you can't even breathe around it or even its tracks if it's no longer in the area because of the huge amount of poison that just kind of, I don't want to say sweats from its skin, but just kind of emanates from its body. And so Hercules meets one of his his friends on the way to fight the Hydra. He's pretty excited because he's been alone for a long time. It took him a long time to hunt down the Nemean lion. And, you know, if he's got to go through all this, it may as well be in good company. And his friend wants to join him and try and help him out because a lot of people are starting to think that maybe it's wrong to put Hercules through these labors. Now, I mentioned last time how him bringing the skin of the Nemean lion made quite an impression at the court of King Eurystheus. Heavens to Betsy, I can't even say that today. At the court of Eurystheus, and so Eurystheus wanted Hercules to greet his herald at the gate from then on with his proof of completion of the tasks, rather than coming into court, because he doesn't want his people seeing how heroic this guy is, but he also doesn't want his people seeing what he's putting him through. But of course, Eurystheus has to, because that's how he stays on good terms with Hera, whom has been his benefactor in the past. Now, Herc and his friend um, meet with Hercules's, I want to say half-sister or stepsister. I don't even know how the genetics of Greek mythology works out. It's all kind of a loop. Um, by the Hydra's cave. And uh, she gives him a few pointers on how to defeat it. Now, one big misconception we see um, with Disney's Hercules is we see the Hydra burst three heads out from every severed head. In reality, it was two. I don't know why it's so often depicted as three. I guess people calculate two heads and one to replace the one that was cut off, but it's actually two heads for every one that is decapitated. So, fun fact. Somebody can't count. But, um, so wherever ever a head is lopped off from the Hydra, two heads appear, which is a shame because usually cutting off something's head is a pretty guaranteed way to kill it, unless it's, I guess, a starfish. But even then, if you hit it in the center, that's it for Mr. Starfish. So part of the way through the battle... Hercules' friend, who is not a demigod, is just a regular old mortal dude, so he's trying to help, but also trying to keep his distance, and they both have to hold their breath throughout the entire encounter because of, again, poison, is watching Herc struggle and just kind of make more and more and more heads as he goes, 
and realizes that by cauterizing the wound where Hercules cuts off a head, it stops the regrowth of another head. So then we work into this pattern of Hercules lopping off a head, his buddy cauterizing the wound over and over and over. And a lot of this is kind of instigated by Athena, who's trying to kind of help guide them through the way. Athena is also responsible for giving Hercules a sword of the gods on their path. So when I mentioned they ran into her, running into Athena is never just, hey girl, it's usually more of a, oh, here's this immortal bit of wisdom or immortal weapon or tool for you to use. In this case, an immortal god sword. This is important because one of the Hydra's heads is also immortal and cannot be killed by anything except this god sword, which is why Athena, Herc's sister, charged at his birth with helping take care of him and protect him, bequeathed this sword to him, the sword of Athena. So eventually, with his buddy cauterizing the other head so that he can get to kind of the, the king head, um, Herc is able to make it to that immortal head and slice through it with Athena's sword, thus killing the Hydra. Now Hercules takes the time here to go ahead and dip all of his arrows into the Hydra's poison. Um, so that way anything he hits with those arrows from now on for the rest of his life will be instantly killed. Now these are not like your Legend of Zelda arrows where you actually kind of have to keep an eye on how many of them there are. Hercules uses these hydra-tipped arrows for the rest of his life and they're mentioned really frequently. So I'm guessing that this must have taken a while because he seems to have dipped a nearly infinite amount of these arrows in the hydra's blood, which is of course incredibly deadly poison. Now, it's kind of amazing to think about the fact that they both, both Herc and his mortal buddy, held on to their breath the entire time they fought the Hydra, because, of course, once you faint from holding your breath, you actually start to breathe again. Your body is constantly trying to stay alive, right? So you start breathing again as soon as you've lost consciousness consciousness. So it's important for them to complete this task while holding their breath, but not hold their breath long enough to faint. And of course, once the whole thing is started, they, uh, you know, they can't just take, run away, take a breath and come back. The poison seems to spread for quite a distance. Now, while this poison seems to be null and void as soon as it's dead. I don't understand that at all. But as soon as the Hydra's dead, Herc and his bud can breathe again. So apparently the poison dissipates as soon as the Hydra dies. However, not the poison in its blood, which is used for the arrow. So there's a lot of kind of vagary as to how the rules of the Hydra's poison work, which is probably why when Disney made the movie, they just kind of uh, left the whole poison thing by the wayside, because a lot of the rules pertaining to the poison don't measure up. And since they're not going to be telling a lot of stories later in that version that pertain to Herc's poisoned arrows, they just were able to leave that aside. But um, in the actual mythos of Hercules... The poison arrows are kind of a big deal, and he does seem to have like an infinite supply of them. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Disney left that out, but it's kind of a big deal. Um, so that one was probably one of the shortest tasks as far as time, because it all had to happen in the, what, three minutes most that that professional diver people can hold their breath. The rest of us, we've got like, I don't know, a minute and a half, two minutes. 
It's pretty impressive when you can cut off that many heads and cauterize that many moons that quickly. But it's a mythology, so maybe, I don't know, maybe they can mythologically hold their breath for a longer amount of time. I'm not sure. The next task is pretty straightforward. Hercules had to catch a golden stag without killing it. Now stags, like any other deer, are incredibly fast and agile, and this one being golden probably means that it is superior and therefore faster and more agile than any other stag. So this one takes him quite a while to catch the stag without killing it. And then uh, there's the Aramanthian boar, um, most of these animals, like the Nemean lion and the Aramanthian boar, are named after the place from which they come or where they they tend to live. So if it seems like a crazy weird name, it's not the actual lion's name or the boar's name. It's it's where they're from. So this boar um, has been wandering around killing people. So Eurystheus says, two birds with one stone." Um, you know, these tasks are designed to kill Hercules, so he figures at the end of this task, either he'll be rid of this boar that's terrorizing the country or be rid of Hercules. It's a win-win for him, so he sends Hercules after the boar. So on the way to the boar, Hercules comes across the house of his friend who's a centaur, and, uh, you know, it's kind of rude to just pass by without visiting, so he visits. His friend has a cask of wine that is from the god of wine himself, and so... You know, even just the smell of this drives all the local centaurs insane. They attack. Hercules kills, like, a ton of them. And uh, he uses his bow and arrows with, again, the hydra tips. At some point, his friend kind of inspects one of these arrows, accidentally pricks himself with it, and dies from the hydra poison. Um, Hercules, after this, catches the boar and heads back. Now, there's kind of a lot in mythology about centaurs being unable to kind of hold their liquor. They have a hard time keeping their sanity about them when they drink, which is a weird weakness to have. But for them, it seems to happen, like, instantly, like even a, a thimble full of drink, and they, they just lose their ever-loving minds. And so while centaurs are, in modern times, depicted as more sophisticated, educated creatures like the, uh, you know, stargazers in Harry Potter. Often they're, they were depicted as much more brutal and animalistic in mythology, especially in the presence of alcohol. And so that's kind of where this one comes. And it's also to establish a pattern that, like Meg, his Hercules' friend had to die and or suffer greatly just because of being connected to Hercules, who is cursed by Hera. And so it's kind of just, it seems like an unnecessary, gruesome death, but it, it is part of this pattern of, hey, if you're friends with Hercules, things are not going to go too well for you. You're likely to meet some kind of terrible, unfortunate end. And we see this quite a bit. This is one of the I think maybe two or three centaurs in Greek and Roman mythology that actually was a pretty measured, thoughtful, stand-up, non-wild you know, man kind of character. And so his passing was seen as kind of a big deal in mythology, but also just to show the kind of senseless death that kind, kind of congregates around Hercules as a character. Either way, the rest of the mission is pretty uneventful. He catches the boar, brings it back for Eurystheus, sleeps in the fallen-down stables that Eurystheus lets him stay in until he's assigned the task to clean the 
stables of I think it's pronounced Aegean stables. Again, I'm I'm not Greek, despite my name being Nicole. I'm not not Greek, and I don't know how to pronounce a lot of these things, which is why a lot of the names I'm just kind of skimming over and giving you their relationship to Hercules rather than their actual name. Uh, usually that means I couldn't pronounce the name. <laughs> so, you know, I'm still probably getting a lot of these wrong, but I'm at least trying to say the ones that I feel confident enough to take a stab at. So cleaning the Aegean stables. Now, these stables had never, ever, 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 ever been cleaned. And we're talking like 30 to 50 years of ownership of these horses because these horses are divine, oh sorry, not horses, cattle. These are divine cattle. I don't know why I was thinking horses. Divine cattle. And so they can't get sick, they can't die, so why bother cleaning their stables? I don't know, I just feel like you'd want them to still look nice so that they'd give off the whole divine cattle look. But apparently that's not how this king feels about it. So you know, he figures, why bother, you know, going through those extra steps and expense when the cattle can't get sick and can't die. On the other hand, why are you raising cattle that can't die? Aren't cattle usually used for food? I don't know. To me, that kind of defeats the purpose of having cattle. But anyway, so Hercules is required to clean out these stables that have not been cleaned in literally decades. Now, for those of you who live in the cities, most people clean up after their animals every single day, sometimes twice a day, and it's a lot of hard physical work. It involves a lot of upper body strength, a lot of a lot of lifting, and a lot of being able to keep an eye on the animal in the stable at the same time that you're trying to clean it out. I've seen this more with horses than I have with cattle, but it is there, there's a lot of work involved, especially if your cattle stay in a stable rather than being more free roaming cowboy style cattle. So I mean, this is this is going to be a tough task because it's a lot of work to clean these stables if you clean them every day. I can't imagine them being left alone for decades. But that's the situation Hercules finds himself in, and he decides to, uh, well, <laughs> he decides to kind of take the easy way out. He reroutes a river and uses it to kind of power wash the inside of the stables out without getting himself filthy. This is an important thing just because in these Greek and Roman times, if you were covered in refuse of any kind, let alone cattle refuse, you were, it's kind of seen as a job that is lower class. They, I don't know that they use the exact caste system like they do in India, but there's definitely a social hierarchy and somebody who's seen as somebody who does kind of manual labor is very, very low on that social hierarchy. And if you've done any studying into Greek and Roman culture, you know that that, that hierarchy was king. Like we give a lot of flack to Europeans and especially like in England, about having this huge social hierarchy that still has some prominence today. But these Greeks and Romans, I mean, first of all, that's probably where it came from, is the Greeks and Romans from when they took over Europe. But the Greeks and Romans had this huge, huge deal with this, this social hierarchy. And so if he were to get himself covered in filthy with animal refuse, this was no position for the son of a god to be in. And so he literally reroutes a river and sends it through the stables, which cleans out the stables without getting him all dirty. And apparently the dirty is the most important part of this task. Eurystheus specifically assigned him to this one, which 
as I'm sure you've guessed, seems disgusting but not particularly deadly, because he wanted to degrade Hercules and treat him like a member of a lower class by having him get covered in this animal refuse. And as I mentioned before, if you've seen anybody clean a stall, you know you're going to get pretty dirty. And we're talking about stalls that get cleaned every day. So I can't imagine how dirty Eurystheus expected Hercules to get trying to clean out these stables, but it didn't happen. And that's, I think, part of why this particular task is considerably less deadly than, you know, beating an immortal lion, beating an unslayable poisonous hydra. This one is considerably less deadly. That's because it was given the particular task of trying to humiliate Hercules by forcing him into a lower rank than the demigod that he is. Um, I wouldn't think that this would bother Hercules as he tends to be more brawn over brain kind of guy. Like he's not, he's not dumb, but he's usually much, a much more physical person than he is worried about politics and, and like a class system. But you know, and then he had kind of a humble upbringing with Amphitryon and Alchemini. But on the other hand, you know, he is the son of a god, and so he, to the big point of the story, is he's able to clean these stables without getting dirty. Myself, I would have considered that, like, the smallest part of the problem. You know, I'd be more worried about what terrible thing that's going to try and kill me next, but we rerouted a river because we don't want to get dirty. Seems like a lot more work. Oh, well. I'm not immortal and infinitely strong, though, so there you go. His next task was driving off a bunch of birds. We do see this one in the Hercules movie by Disney, just as you see the cleaning of the stables is mentioned, the killing of the boar is mentioned. I don't think it talks about the stag at all. I don't know. The Hydra, obviously, is given huge, huge representation in that movie, though. But these birds, you just kind of see their picture on, like, a, a vase, What's unique about them that's not covered in the movie, because, you know, they don't have the time, is that these birds had silver beaks and feathers, and the feathers could be flung at their enemies and uh, kind of used as, as sort of, I don't want to say arrows exactly, more like a, a crossbow bolt, you know, and it would you could get killed just by them flinging their feathers. Kind of like how we in the West kind of picture porcupines, even though this is not what porcupines actually do. We always make jokes about porcupines throwing their quills, even though it's not a real thing. And I think most people know that that's not a thing that porcupines actually do. But we continue this kind of uh, stereotype that porcupines can throw their quills. These birds apparently were supposed to be able to throw their silver feathers and peck you with their silver beak. So again, it's a whole flock of these guys. So Eurystheus decided that humiliating Hercules wasn't good enough. We're going back for the incredibly deadly tasks again. So Hercules was about to pursue these, these birds into a swamp, and he has to be stopped by big sis Athena again, who gives him these bronze cassinets that were forged by Hephaestus. And uh, apparently these cassinets, which Again, you know, if if you recall, Hercules is not a super musical guy. His frustration with, with music led him to kill his tutor in the last episode. So if I were Athena, I don't know, I mean, she's the goddess of wisdom, so maybe she knows something I don't. But apparently she thinks Herc can pay, play a mean cassinet. So she gives him these bronze cassinets. He taps them against the side of the cliff where the birds live, and this startles them, and they fly off. As these birds fly off, Hercules goes ahead and kills 
most of them with his hydra-tipped arrows, because again, they seem to just never run out. We do later see him run into the few survivors of these birds as he journeys with Jason with the Argonauts. So he doesn't manage to kill all of them in this task, but I think the the point of the task was to get them away from the kingdom. It was more to drive them off than to actually kill them all. And uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, <laughs> they they were big bad birds, so apparently they were killing people and causing havoc yet again a task that Eurystheus assigns to Hercules to try and get two birds with one stone or more of a win-win situation. Either the birds die or Herc dies. Either way, this guy's happy because he's kind of a jerk. Next is the, I think it's pronounced Croton, Crotion bull. Um, not a lot of details on this one. A um, couple different mythos pertaining to this bull. Some people think that this bull is the father of the Minotaur. If you know... Um, the story of King Minos and his, his wife getting cursed into being attracted to a bull, possibly this bull, and uh, giving birth to the Minotaur. Um, a lot of legends, though, it's just a big bull. So for Hercules, this would probably be kind of a nice break, because it's for once you're fighting something without a bunch of special powers and special abilities to kill you. On the other hand, a bull is an extremely dangerous animal. So while this would be a deadly task for you or me or, you know, the guy in the apartment below me, for Hercules, this was probably kind of a yawn. Next, he has to steal mares from King Diomedes. Um, at this point, Hercules has become kind of a star, and he's pretty famous, and a lot of people are starting to kind of sympathize with him being sent on all of these undesirable, if not deadly, tasks. People feel pretty bad for him. He's becoming, you know, zero to hero, like Disney says, and he's becoming something of a legend. And so... A big group of guys led by one of the sons of Hermes, um, I think it's Abturus, Abturus, um, is kind of waiting outside of the village, waiting to help Hercules with his ne next task once they know that Eurystheus has assigned him something new. So this is kind of a rough task. These this uh, King Diomedes has four large mares who have been fed on human flesh by this king their whole life. So these are not your nice, normal, sweet, older mares. These are horses that are hungry for human flesh. And the consumption of these human you know, body parts has made them huge and insane and just absolutely nuts. Because, of course, it kind of goes against the laws of nature for horses to survive on human flesh. So, Herc kind of leaves King Abturus behind to deal with his horses. He, or sorry, leaves his buddy Abturus behind to deal with these horses. Hercules beats Diomedes, who is also a demigod, in a fight. But in the meantime, the mares ate Hercules' friend, Abturus, because they managed to break into the stable, and so they have the mares that they need, and so Herc is like, you know, I can't just steal these without at least, you know, confronting the king about it. You, Abturus, just stay here, watch the mares. Too many of my friends have, have died because of my work on these seven labors, and, you know, the whole point of the labors is to redeem myself, so you stay here with the horses where it's safe. I will deal with this king. Well, when Herc is over 
beating this demigod king, his buddy's getting eaten by these horses. And of course, the taste of the flesh of Abtris drives these horses absolutely nuts. And so when Hercules enters the stable with them, finds his friend has, you know, been eaten by these horses, he's so mad that he, you know, fills the horses the rest of the way up by feeding the king to them. So after this, they're pretty full and lazy, and he takes them back to Eurystheus. Yeah, I wouldn't think he'd be any happier to see these her- horses than he is to see Hercules, but apparently, apparently he is, so I don't know. This whole thing kind of confuses me with some of its kind of inconsistency, but yeah, we'll see. Next is one of the more controversial labors of Hercules. He has to steal a girdle from Amazons. This one is again mentioned in... Uh, the Hercules movie, but you don't actually see it happen. Hippolyta, in most versions of this story that I've heard, was actually willing to give the girdle to Hercules. In some versions, it's because, you know, she's just very taken with him, but in the version I'm familiar with, it's because they were actually friends from another one of Hercules' quests, I believe the one with Jason and the Argonauts. So that, again, will have to go in another story. Now, I don't know. Um, So they're talking, and they're talking in private, Hercules and Hippolyta, while she's giving the girdle to him. And, of course, her friends um, are outside of the tent guarding their queen. Unfortunately, (sighs) I don't know. I mean, this this seems like if you didn't know Hercules was already friends with the... um, Amazons, then this would seem like a deadly task, but to Hercules, this doesn't seem like a big deal because he's already friends with the Amazons. This should be a task that goes over relatively smoothly. So if I get a little flustered and frustrated, that's because this particular one is kind of like the movie Mouse Hunt, just everything that can go wrong does. Um, When Hippolyta willingly gives her girdle to Herc, they're kind of back in the back room of the tent by themselves. Probably should have done this in front of witnesses because while they're back there talking and catching up with each other because you had to sail all the way out there to meet the Amazons and they probably haven't seen each other in a few years. Hera. Oh, Hera. Hera is spreading between the... uh, the remaining Amazons that aren't in on this talk, that Hercules has attacked their queen and that the men, his men on the ship are going to attack the rest of the Amazons. So, of course, there's a fight. And uh, this is a shame because, you know, Hippolyta was kind of happy to help her friend out and help kind of get him out of these labors and redeem himself and, you know, be able to join society again. But, of course, Hera likes to mix things up. Hera's gonna Hera, and she causes a great big fight, and in the fray, Hippolyta is killed. So this only makes the fighting worse. Herc manages to escape with the girdle, but the queen of the Amazons at this point is dead, and the Amazons swear revenge on all men. And because no one else was privy to the meeting between Hercules and Hippolyta, no one else knows that their meeting was a peaceful one, and so the Amazons are now ready to go to war. So this is another way in which Hercules' labors may be part of what triggered a lot of the events having to do with the Trojan War. Next is the cattle of Geryon. A lot of cattle in these labors. Cattle are hard to work with, I guess. 
The problem with these cattle is that they are guarded by a two-headed dog, or at least half of them are. Half of the cattle, which her cast to steal, are guarded by this two-headed dog. The other half are guarded by a giant. And uh, so, let's see. The guard for the half of the cattle that belong to Hades. So, half of these cattle are owned by Hades, and they are guarded by the two-headed dog. However, the other half are guarded by the giant, who confronts Hercules. This giant has arm... What, six arms, six legs, three heads, and three torsos. So just think of, like, the troll from the old Maelstrom ride at the Magic Kingdom. It's basically three separate dudes with just kind of one waistline. So, uh, you know, there you go. And so this guy comes out, and he's going to try and protect the other half of the cattle. Um, so Hercules gets, like, a spear and hurls it at him, and somehow, like impales all three torsos at the same time. Oh, sorry, not a spear, an arrow. Impales all three torsos at one time, so he must have kind of done it from the side. And uh, then he brings the cows back to Eurystheus's herald. I don't know how her, how Hades feels about the guard of his half of those cattle being killed, but I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Hades, unlike the Disney cartoon, Hades in Greek mythology is a pretty measured guy, really, compared to the rest of the gods. So maybe he's understanding about the whole thing. The next labor, he needs to steal golden apples. Now, what's so special about these golden apples is that they belong to Hera. And they are guarded by a dragon that... Um only Atlas can control. So Hercules asks him for help. Hercules manages to kind of get rid of the dragon, but in order to do so, he has to hold up the sky while Atlas steals the gold apple, because only Atlas can enter the garden where the apple is kept. And uh, once Atlas does steal these apples, he's he's like, you know, I kind of don't want to hold up the sky in the wor anymore. It kind of stinks. It's incredibly heavy. And Hercules is, you know, yeah, yeah, I get that. I mean, it would be pretty, pretty terrible. The problem is, you know, my lion skin coat is kind of, kind of bunched all up under here. If you could just take the sky back just for a minute so I can adjust my, my Nemean lion skin coat, I'll take it back. And then, then you can run the apples to Eurystheus and get a really good stretch on. Well, of course, once... Once uh, Atlas holds the sky back up so that Hercules can adjust his cloak, he adjusts, picks up the apples, and leaves. Well, I guess since they were both kind of going to betray each other, I don't feel quite as bad about that one, but it's how it goes. So he goes back, gives the apples to the king, who gives them to the gods, who put them back on the tree. So this one, I think, counts as the most pointless of all of the tasks, which, I mean, Her Hera had Eurystheus, have Hercules, have Atlas steal her own apples so that Atlas could give them to Hercules, who could give them to Eurystheus, who could give them back to Hera. It's basically the summary of the whole story. The goal, of course, was to have Hercules killed along the way, which didn't happen, which makes the whole thing pretty pointless. I'm just saying Atlas was probably not thrilled when he saw one of the gods cruising on by to return the apples back to the tree, despite all of the trouble that had been gone through. 
the next um the next one is kind of the last of his official tasks and that is to steal Cerberus. Yes, Cerberus, the dog that guards the underworld. Now Cerberus doesn't guard people to keep them from going in so much as out. So, you know, this could be an interesting thing overall. Now, in some versions, Hercules joins the cult of Demeter and Persephone and is therefore able to enter the underworld. In other versions, he's just blessed by Zeus and is therefore able to under go into the other the underworld. <laughs> boy, boy, if I could just speak. But either way, with a little divine help, Herc is able to enter the underworld. While down there, he decides to kind of free Theseus on his way, and in some versions, he gets to see his family, who, of course, he murdered. Um, Hades says that Hercules is welcome to borrow Cerberus as long as he doesn't use any weapons in order to catch him. Um, in some versions, it's nothing made of bronze or nothing made of iron. Um, in other versions, he just can't use any tools to catch him. So Hercules catches him, in most versions it's kind of like a headlock situation, and brings him back to Eurystheus. However, this time he breaks rank, and instead of giving the dog of Hades to Eurystheus' herald, he goes straight on into the throne room like he's not supposed to. Eurystheus hears Hercules is coming and hides inside a jar because he's a big weenie, and Cerberus kind of snaps and snarls at the king and terrifies him, Who, and he tells Hercules that... Uh, He's off the hook. No more tasks and labors for him. So, yeah, I guess Eurystheus shapes up when he's more afraid of Hercules than he is of Hera, basically, at this point. Hades comes along and takes his dog back home, because nobody likes it when somebody steals their dog. And Hercules is kind of off having to do the labors. Now, you may have noticed that at the beginning of the story... Eurystheus was meant to assign Hercules ten labors. If you've been counting, there were twelve. That's because, according to Eurystheus, slaying the Hydra and cleaning the Aegean stables didn't count because the in the Hydra task he had help from his friend, cauterizing all of the heads, and in the Aegean stables that didn't count because he had help from the river. Yeah the river. I'm not sure the river was a willing participant, but apparently that doesn't count. Now, for some reason, bringing Abturus and his gang of buddies to help steal the mares from King Diomedes, apparently that's cool. I don't know why. I guess it just depends on the king's whims of the day. But those tasks were not counted, and so Herc had to do two more. And that's part of why he was so grumpy and intimidating when it came to stealing Cerberus. At this point, I think he'd about had it. He's been laboring for several years. He's about done. Now, in some versions, this is where he uh, goes off and uh, tries to find Meg and get her back in the versions where he didn't, you know, burn her alive earlier. So now that he's absolved of his sins, he wants to go back to her. But of course, she can't take him back, even though he has been technically redeemed of his sins, just because it's, it's hard to get beyond once you've watched somebody do the horrible thing that he did. But also partially because you'd never know when Hera was done hating this kid. And, uh, you know, it could happen again at any point. So... You know, she probably feared trying to start a new family or even be his family again from this point. So either Meg has already passed away due to his burning her alive, or at this point their relationship is pretty much over because she won't take him back. 
Moving on, we run into someone named Hessian. She is guarded by a sea monster, cause why not? And her father, the king of Troy, promises to give Hercules some horses from Zeus, and really is horses this time, guys, some horses from Zeus if he gets her back from this sea monster. So he jumps down and, uh, you know, grabs the monster's throat and clubs his way out of, oh, he jumped down the monster's throat and clubbed his way back out and broke um, Hessian's chains and set her free. The king on the has decided to take back his promise because, you know, he heard what happened to Hercules' last family and uh, doesn't really want his family to be too involved because people around Hercules tend to die. So he's taken it back. He wants to keep his magic horses. And Hercules is, you know, well, we've mentioned, he's a short-tempered guy. He, he can't keep it together sometimes, so he swears that he's going to come back and kill this guy. Hercules heads back to Troy, where he fights his way through the walls of Troy and into the city. Hercules kills the king and captures the prince and princess. He gives the princess to one of his friends in marriage, and she begs for her brother's freedom. The prince vows to make the invulnerable or sorry, to make the city invulnerable after this, to make sure nobody can get through the walls again. This'll come up later when the whole Trojan horse thing happens. But because of this incidence of Hercules breaking through the walls, this is why the walls of Troy are such a big deal. The prince at this point changes his name to Priam, who was the king during the Trojan War. So, you know, again, Herc just kind of kick-started that whole mess. Since Hera had mostly calmed down at this point and hadn't kind of tried to mess with him for a while, Hercules decides that he wants to marry again. He completes a tournament to win the daughter of another king, but this king also ended the tournament before Hercules was able to win because uh, he also didn't want to marry his daughter to a man who wiped out his entire last family. So Hercules leaves. This time he doesn't lose his temper, which is uncharacteristic for him, but I don't know, I guess he's starting to see a pattern that you know a lot of responsible dads don't want him to marry their daughter. So he leaves, and at the time, after he leaves, he's accused of stealing the cattle from this whole kingdom. And uh, Hercules goes ahead and kills the prince who makes the accusation, because again, temper, temper. And uh, to kill a guest in Greek and Roman culture at the time was considered huge, like really huge. It was a, the biggest faux pas, and uh, you know... Just remind me to tell you about the uh, story of Bellerophon sometime, and uh, you'll see that it's it's a pretty big deal. So he has to become a slave to atone again. While he's doing that, he hears that a princess named Deonyra, or Dianyra, is eligible. Hercules fights a river guardian to be with her. Dianara, after their wedding, is kidnapped by a centaur who had been turned down for the position of marrying her. He decided, you know, I kind of still want to marry her, so I'll just take her. So he does. He takes Dianyra, who, you know, is super not into that, but what are you going to do? It's a bigger, stronger creature than her. Not stronger, however, than Hercules, so he kills this river guardian named Nessus. Does that sound familiar? It's because this is the river guardian in the Hercules movie. 
and he kills Nessus with the hydra-dipped arrow. As Nessus died, he persuaded Deonyra that his blood-soaked cloak would be a good love potion in case Hercules decided to stray, and then he died. In some versions, it's Nessus's red cloak that is used as the love potion dipped in his blood. In other versions, Deonyra left her shawl behind, and the River Guardian had torn it from her, and so when she goes back to collect it, that's when they have this conversation. It's not really important how it happened, but there are the two different versions, so I just wanted you to be aware. Again, most legends and stories have tons of different versions by this time. At one point then later, Deonyra hears that Hercules went back to retrieve the princess he had won in the tournament we talked about earlier, but that he hadn't received her. She, The princess turned Herc down, because, you know, he killed her whole family in front of her, and so he took her as a slave and sent her to his house. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm with Deonyra here. I wouldn't want this girl that my husband tried to marry living in our house. I wouldn't be super cool with that, and this is, of course, a beautiful princess, because in these stories, princesses are always beautiful. So she's a little bit anxious about this beautiful former potential spouse of her husband being a slave in her husband's house. She wants Hercules to love her and only her, and having this beautiful woman whom Herc wanted to marry around makes her feel very uncomfortable, as does the fact that he went back to retrieve her. Like, why are you going back to get this other girl when you're already married? You should be past that. Like, you don't need her anymore. But apparently he did. So all of this makes Deonyra, understandably, I think, very insecure. And, uh... We all know where this is going, right? I mean, I know where it's going, obviously, but I'm hoping you do, too. The cloak that is a love potion from Nessus, the River Guardian. She wraps Hercules in this cloak, hoping that it will win his heart for her and her only. Problem is, it was a trick. You see... By being killed by the arrow that had been dipped in Hydra blood, the Hydra blood then transferred into Nessus's blood, thus poisoning all of his blood with the Hydra poison. I'm not sure how scientific that is, but that's how they thought it worked in these days of mythology. So when Deonyra put the cloak over her husband, hoping that it would be a love potion to make him stay faithful to her and forsake all of the other women. Yeah, this thing was soaked in poison, so it made Hercules' skin bubble and blister and boil off from his body. Herc was in so much pain and so aware that he was going to die from this that he began to build his own funeral pyre. Um, part of why it took him longer to die than Nessus is because, of course, he's half-god. So that means he gets to suffer longer, because his life hasn't been enough of that, apparently. He builds his own funeral pyre and climbs on top as the poison continues to eat away at his body from the outside in. A lightning bolt strikes him from Olympus and takes him to be with his family and becomes the Greek god of strength. There are a lot more stories about Herc's adventures, Herc kind of served as an example with of a life to lead because while he had many, many, many flaws, 
His story is one of the importance of seeking redemption. His life and death set the stage for the Trojan War, which is one of the biggest legends in Greek and Roman mythology, one of the biggest clashes between gods, goddesses, heroes, and men. And so it is kind of one of the biggest stories, and there's lots of, you know, ties to possible actual history. It's just, it's one of the most enormous stories of all time, and it all starts with the life and death of Hercules, and triggered by Eurystheus's shame-fueled hunt for Hercules's children. So while the enormity of Jason and the Argonauts in the Trojan War demand their own episodes, as do the Amazons, um, we're kind of leaving those out in order to give them the amount of backstory they deserve. Also cut out tons of kind of fatal wrestling matches with Herc and other rando people throughout the story just because most of them are pointless. Hercules liked to wrestle people and kill them. It's how he do, I guess. Um, so I kind of left those out because I felt like they were more of an interruption and a distraction from the story rather than a continuance of it. Now again, today I did do a much more direct format rather than my usual kind of storytelling format because this is really, really long. I mean, look at I've I've already gone 10 minutes over my usual episode length and uh, that's just being a then this happened, then that happened, then this happened, then that happened, kind of a presentational format rather than narrative. So imagine if I had fluffed it out into a full story. You guys would probably be here for another couple hours. So, in general, that's kind of the Reader's Digest version of the story of Hercules minus Jason and the Argonauts and the Trojan War, which we will cover later. I'd like to take this moment to thank my listeners in Ireland, Germany, Canada, and the Philippines. I have no idea how you find found me, but I'm so grateful to you for tuning in, and I'll try and cover a story from your area, either here or on Patreon.com with my kind of patron-only content, so don't hesitate to tune in there, and uh, for as little as $10 a month, you get kind of my exclusive stories that are original stories that I release on Wednesday that do contain lots of different mythological creatures from cultures all over the world, so if you don't hear your culture covered in our stories on Friday, you may want to subscribe and see if it's covered on Wednesday. Thank you so much for tuning in, and again, you can catch me on patreon.com slash southernfriedstorytime or on the Anchor Podcast app. I do have a Facebook page that I keep pretty active on, too, and update it whenever I update the uh, Patreon page or Anchor with more content, so that's probably the easiest way to know when I've posted something. Thanks for tuning in. Have a wonderful, wonderful weekend, and I look forward to sharing another story with you back in regular narrative form next week. Thank you so much.